0: Welcome to The Teaching Ministry at Carthers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, Carothers Creek. Uh, again, I'm very glad you're here this morning, and hello to our probably larger cottage audience today. We're glad that you're joining us or wherever you might be online, listening or watching Glad you're here. Well, uh, this is the second, actually, last in our series out of the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be in chapter eight today. And so, again, like we always say, if you've got your Bible uh, physically or virtually, we'd love you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, always remember you can pick one up at either of our kiosks every single week. And if you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. We'd love uh, for you to have the Word of God. And so, we'd ask everyone to turn there in chapter eight. And we're going to be exploring that and dialoguing through that uh, today. I need to start where I have started time and time and time again this summer, because if I don't, again, we always go in the wrong direction with the Word of God, especially with the book of Proverbs. So let me state the obvious again for many of us who've been here for a while. The foundational idea out of the book of Proverbs is this. Proverbs are not a list of promises from God. If you've grown up in church and you've been taught that they are promises, the people that taught that to you are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Proverbs are given so we know how to love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves in a fallen world. If you want a summary, it's this. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are promptings for godly living. Now, as I've also shared, the first nine chapters is sort of formulaically a conversation between a father and his young adult son, and we get to listen in on it. And as we all know, if you've been tracking with us, this is straight talk about God, the world, people, politics, family, sex, money, business. As I've shared before, it's a strongly painted picture for us of what it looks like for ordinary God followers to follow the God who loves us in this world. Now, in Chapter Six, the Father talked about giving money out that you don 't have, and that 's where we hang out, hung out last week. He talked about laziness, he talked about bad company, he talked about adultery again, and then he said these words to his son and i don 't know if you remember these, but he sat his son down and he said, "Look, there are things that God actually hates they don 't just disturb him they He he hates them. It emotionally vibrates in the essence of who he is. And here's what it was. He hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that thinks up wicked plans, feet that hurry off to do evil, a witness who tells lie one after another, and someone who stirs up trouble among friends. Now in chapter 7, which we're not going to go through in this series, The father sits his young adult son down again and talks in more detail. We move from rated R to one X out of three about adultery. He's more detailed than chapter five or chapter six. Now, please this week, take the time to read this. Don't avoid it, don't say, I've already heard enough on that topic. I'm not really interested, it doesn't apply to me. Do not let fear or apathy or boredom or stage of life actually sort of stop you from getting God's full picture. It is significant that God, in the first nine chapters, of Proverbs, brings up adultery four separate times, and three of them are radically detailed. This is something that God knew we were going to have to face down, either in our own lives or in our family lives, or we'd have to live with the results of that sin. And so I encourage you, go back and read chapter 7. It is absolutely striking and fearful. Now, today we're going to be in chapter 8. Now this is interesting, because this is the most difficult and most important chapter In the whole book of Proverbs, in 36 verses, we get actually wisdom's autobiography. Wisdom in this chapter is personified. She is shown as herself and she comes to give her message to the whole world. But the conversation doesn't start with her yet, it starts with that father again. The father begins to talk to, he calls his son and to us this morning to see, to love, to watch, to listen, to obey God's gift of wisdom to the world after multiple foolish invitations to live outside of God's ways, which we've seen in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and if you read it, 7. Invitations that promise a good life, a healthy life, a beautiful life, but actually conceal death itself, like an unseen trap. Now the Father reminds His Son and all of us that there is a better way, but not just a better path. There's actually a foundation on which all of the wisdom He has been giving us rests. Chapter 8 is the foundation for the whole house called Proverbs. And the father starts by saying this. Hear the word of God this morning. Proverbs 8.1 Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Wisdom is crying out, and she is crying out loudly. Actually, very loudly. Now, what is wisdom crying out to the world and to us? The father says, can you hear her son? Does she not cry out how to know God? how to love others. Does she not cry out, there's a path that leads to death and a path that leads to life. Does she not cry out, you do not need to injure yourself. You do not need to injure others. You do not need to injure the living God. You do not need to take the place of God and fall. Start with who you are, son. You are only a human being. You are not in control. You need wisdom to prevent self-injury. Remember, son, what this is all about. What did I tell you? What have I shown you. What is before? Who is behind? Who is the giver of wisdom? Son, it's God. God himself has given this. If this talk today is about the foundation of the house, then never forget that the cornerstone of the foundation is the one phrase we learned all the way back in chapter 1. It's the fear of God. 1-7 reads like this, all the way back. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Let me re-remind all of us as a family what the fear of God means. It simply means worship. It means faithfulness to a God you already know. It's radically relational. It's fully theocentric. It's all about God first and our relationship with Him second real knowledge he says equals real life change draw near to god he will draw near to you fear as i've shared three times is about respect fear is about awe fear is about love and whether we like it or not fear is also about utter terror because as beth just prayed when we face the living god of heaven and earth we realize that we are dust and he is not when you fear god in a balanced way, with all of those things, knowing he is close, far, imminent, transcendent, knowing he is both judge, king, and creator, but also brother and friend. Only then was a love relationship established with the Israelites and also with us. As the psalmist said in Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. As I shared in week one, It's important as we get going into Proverbs 8 today that we don't just skip over the name Lord. Lord here is the name Yahweh. It's God's covenantal name, his marriage name, the one used when God entered into relationship with his people. Again, I need to say to all of us again today, time and time again, that knowledge from a biblical worldview is not just intellectual assent but a deeply personal and experiential reality. It's where we get our verb to have sex from. There's a big difference to know about something and know someone deeply. It's like I said a year ago, you can talk all you want about Swiss chalet. You can talk about the sauce and how beautiful it is and the quarter chicken and the fries, and you can get really excited, but till you eat it, you don't know God's gift to Canada, right? Right. There's knowing And then there's knowing. The fear of God is relational. The fear of God is knowing. It's not good enough just to have good doctrine. You need to know the one the doctrine is praising. God's wisdom, he says in chapter 8, not only cries out, but she actually searches for us. None of us will escape wisdom's presence. She will meet us at every single point in our life. Wisdom will meet us on our life journey time and time again. We will hear her and see her. The question is this morning, will we choose to listen to her? Will we want to embrace her or will we want to embrace another that only brings death? Verse 2 reads like this. On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud. Son, the father says... Look to the heights, look up, for she is shouting from on high. She is there so we can not only see her, she has placed herself there because it is the place she can reach the most amount of people. But interestingly, if you've been tracking with us, I got this from another scholar when he said, she is contrasted to the woman trying to promote sexual secret encounters who lurk in the streets in the dark squares at night that you can read about in chapter 7. Another said every line suggests that her speech is public, it's offered to all. She is not ashamed of what she is saying, unlike the adulterous woman in chapter 5 and 6 who speaks to one young man trying to bring death and to satisfy her own needs. But not only there, son, the father says, Not only is she singing over your life as a whole. Son, hear this. Wisdom will meet you at your crossroads. I found out this week that the crossroads in this time was not only the great place of travel to go to the left or right, north, south, east, west. It also was the place where sex trade workers would gather in that time. And this is so important. This is the place of decision, not only for journey, but sexual decision. This, of course, brings chapter 5 and 6 and 7 into clear, crystal focus. It is here where we must make the decision to move to the left or the right. From the heights, the Father says, and at the crossroads, wisdom meets us. But not only those places, son, she also meets you at the gates. Now, in this time, the gates was the boundary between urban and rural. But also, more importantly, was the place where elders would actually meet. It was the court of the day to decide all things for the community, politics, family, faith. The question is this morning, will wisdom be found where we actually make our decisions? She meets us at the gates. She meets us at the crossroads. She meets us from on high, but interestingly also, she meets us at the entrance. She meets us at every entrance in the places we live, our homes, our minds, online, in our cars. She meets us in every space that exists and that we live in. She is found all around us. She is found at the crossroads of life. She is found at the point of decision. She is found at the entrances of everything that we are. And son, the father says, notice, she cries out loud. She is proclaiming, she speaks, she preaches, she tries with all of her power to call us to herself. But so many people cover their eyes and their mouth and their ears and call her evil, even though she is not. Wisdom calls out to all of humanity for every generation. She calls out to you and myself and says these words, take my message to heart. It is about life or death. It is that serious. She says in verse four, to you, O men, I call out loud, I raise my voice to all mankind. She says, men, son of humanity, will you not embrace me and not yourself? Will you not embrace me and not others or other worldviews or other actions? The choice is so clear. Now, some of you are here and online are going, well, John, okay, I'm a woman and I know need men, need wisdom. I attest to that all the time. What about us? Well, don't forget the context of what's going on. Proverbs was first and foremost written to young adult men at the beginning of their professional and marital lives. But it applies to every one of us, no matter who we are, gender, age, or stage. She says these words, You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish gain understanding. These young men, in this case, are not hardened fools or mockers. They are still naive and immature, and they can be helped to avoid self-injury and sin if they embrace wisdom and if they love her deeply. Brett Allman was talking last Sunday night to our young adult community and he was talking about dating and sexual encounter and he was saying that if you take a clean piece of paper, he says every time that you have a sexual encounter, you sort of get marked and marked and marked and marked and what you have at the beginning, which is clean, gets marked in the end and was trying to explain some stuff in detail. Well, it's the same thing here. What this, what this father's teaching and what wisdom is saying is you get life started, though, of course, we're tainted by sin. And we need God's intervention. We have the ability through wisdom not to get marked on our white sheet of paper. And we do that through the act called prudence. Prudence is how to navigate life's problems through uh, godly understanding. When wisdom speaks, the father basically is saying, it's powerful. It's like a jet engine close overhead. It's like Niagara Falls right beside you. It's like looking in the mirror. When she speaks, she is noble. She is precious. It's powerful. It jolts you to attention. She forces reality. It moves your life in a strong direction if you want it. Wisdom says, listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right, my mouth speaks what is true, my lips detest wickedness, all the words of my mouth are just, none of them are crooked or perverse, to to the discerning, all of them are right, they are faultless to those who have knowledge. Wisdom comes and says to us this morning, my ethical qualities are here, here is my autobiography, here is my description, I am truth. "'I am right, holy living. I am straightforward. I am virtuous.'" Notice she is opposite of all the other people and experiences we have been warned about for six plus weeks. As another observed, he wrote it this way, "'Wisdom makes her claim to speak rightly.'" Starting with verse 6, she asserts that her mouth and her lips speak right words, a contrast to the honey-dripping lips of the other woman who's involved in seduction.'" And she says that her corrupt and she says that a corrupt mouth of a scoundrel offends her. her words are true, and her lips find wickedness detestable. Her mouth rejects crookedness and perversity. Yet there's more. Catch this this morning. There is rhetorical appeal to the character of the audience listening to her claim. That's us. For readers who have taken the time to pay attention to the message of this book will certainly wish to be counted among the wise. If you've been tracking with us, my hope is you're starting to go, I want to be a wise person, not a fool. The person writes, knowing that one needs wisdom is the first sign that you actually have wisdom. If the words are right and faultless to them, then the question is, what do fools think about wisdom? Well, this is what fools will say about God's word. Listen, they will say that God's word and his wisdom is insufficient, false, and worthless. How many times have I hung out with people, genuine people, good people, but they were choose to reject God and they will always say, well, God and your movement and Christianity and his wisdom, it's insufficient to deal with my life. Or it's just not true. Or they'll say, it's just worthless. When you declare things like that about the word of God, you know you've moved from woman wisdom to foolishness. Most likely the person writes, fools see her message as no use to them and they reject it. But wisdom, interestingly, catch this, begins her appeal, not with the benefits to the listener. See, all the time in our culture, we always try selling people with how good something is, so they'll listen. Woman wisdom has no time. She does not start with, what's the benefit to us? She just stands up and declares what she is, and how good her words all her words are, the quality. She says, because I am true and right, they are precious and valuable. And by the way, if you would like them, they're a gift to you. Now notice that so far, woman wisdom is talking all about one thing, basically, the mouth. The mouth. She's talking about what comes out of us. Now, as I've shared, We're only going through the first nine chapters, but if you would take the time to listen, to read, to embrace wisdom fully, you will notice that one of the key major themes, probably one of the top three in chapter 10 through 31, is about speech. Truth, gossip, lies, slander, rumor, all that sort of stuff. Our mouth, listen to this, our mouth shows who we are. Our mouth shows where we are. Our mouth shows what we are. Let me say that again. Our mouth shows where we are, who we are, what we are. Wisdom comes and shows us how to be people with good mouths, not dirty mouths. I was thinking a lot about that this week. Who's been to the dentist in the last year or two? Put your hand up. Okay, now it's very interesting. First of all, we need to pray for dentists. They have a tough gig. No, they do. They really do. But I was thinking, have you ever done (laughs) uh, the stupid thing I've done? where you think that if you brush harder for four and a half minutes, it's going to make everything okay before you go? You know what I'm talking about, right? You haven't flossed for a year, but somehow we psychologically believe that if we get our Colgate and we just brush extra hard, not for 35 seconds, but for like 10 minutes, they're going to go and they're going to be like, oh my goodness, your mouth, oh my goodness, it's, it's gorgeous. Look at them. Oh, it's like God's glories on your teeth. Unbelievable. I just, I don't even want to touch your mouth, please. They're like dirty mouth." They know exactly what's going on, because when they see things that we can't see, they know the contents of our mouth. And you've all seen those documentaries and ads. It's not a nice thing. When you face up to wisdom, wisdom quickly reveals if we have a dirty mouth or a good mouth. Most people run from God's wisdom because it actually shows us who we really are, not who we want to be. She says these words in verse 10, "'Choose my instruction instead of silver, "'knowledge rather than choice gold, "'for wisdom is more precious than rubies "'and nothing you can desire can compare with her.'" Now, we all know in this culture and every culture, money and riches are highly desired. We all get that. But wisdom, she says, is more important than all of that. The question this morning is, would you be willing to work for, fight, and look for God's will and wisdom more than great sex, more power, or money, more money? God's word says this morning, wisdom is better than a new house. Wisdom is better than a new kitchen reno. Wisdom is more important than your fear, your pride, your need to be right, to be successful, or even to be loved. Wisdom is the foundation, for wisdom is the very essence of God in written form. Wisdom cries out to all. Her speech is full, pure, precious, and when she is given, she is embraced, and when she is embraced, life happens But then she says something else. She says, I am a great gift to those who have the responsibility to lead. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence, verse 12. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and here it is again, perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule the earth. Now, a few things before we get to leadership. Pride, arrogance, evil behavior, perverse speech. God hates this stuff. This is a real hatred that God has because these things violate who he is. But I'm very glad that he included in verse 14 the little phrase, understanding and power. Wisdom has the ability to actually change our lives. God himself combines wisdom and power to bring about change. This shouldn't shock us. When Moses came off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, was he glowing? Yes, he was full of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. When Jesus was doing his great ministry on earth, he taught with one who had authority, and he did great, powerful deeds. We are called to worship in spirit and and in truth. We are called as people to be full of wisdom and full of the Spirit of God. That is how God has worked out things to provide change. And it's even here in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom without power will never go anywhere. Power without wisdom will end up hurting people all the time. And notice, this is said to leaders, Now, before many of you say, here or online, well, John, you may be a leader or others may be, but I'm not. Remember something. All of us, right at this moment, are leaders. The first place of leadership is you. Self-leadership is the most difficult and most important form of leadership on earth. Is that not the heartbeat of Proverbs? God-inspired, God-empowered self-leadership. Let me say that again. Is not Proverbs at its heart God-inspired, God-empowered self-leadership? If we lead ourselves well, we will lead others well. If we do not lead ourselves well, we can lead no one well. And notice that leadership at its heart is the ability to influence yourself or others just towards a goal and direction. And that's almost all of us here too. All of us sitting in this room have leadership in our lives, at work, in our families, in our volunteerism, in our church, our school, our job, you fill in the blank. If you've been given power in any way, given or earned, if you are the king somewhere, of some place, then lead out of wisdom and nowhere else. All the other wells are poison. This is so important. Self-leadership and leadership of others needs to start with woman wisdom, nowhere else. If you're responsible for leading, and you're not regularly, if not daily, reading the Proverbs, you are limiting your leadership, influence, and ability because you are refusing to hear how God says you can lead well. I love how he says, verse 17, too, so many people come to me as a pastor and say, well, John, what is God saying to me? I don't know God's will. Where do I go? What do I do? But almost all of his will is already plainly revealed. 90 to 95% of what God wants to tell us is actually given. Maybe only 5 or 10% is specific at the point. The father says to his son in verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. Wisdom is not hard to find. She's not hard to attain, but you need to go after her and then obey her. How many of us know God's heart? We know wisdom, but we choose not to obey. And when things go bad in our life, we end up blaming God or the church or pastors or leaders or others or the world around you or your friends. You can fill in the blank. And yet the truth is, we decided ourselves not to listen. If you seek wisdom, she will always be found. Wisdom says, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The power of the story of Solomon proves this grand truth. God came to the son of David and says, what do you want? He did not ask for power, sex, military might, for honor or fame, or even to be known beyond his death. All he asked for was wisdom so he could lead the people. And it pleased God so much that he said this, that he gave Solomon not only wisdom, but wealth and power. Solomon understood at a young age that everything starts here, nowhere else but here. The question is, do you know that? Well, so far, we've tracked with wisdom... And suddenly the scene changes. And now we arrive at probably the most famous portion in the whole book of Proverbs. We suddenly move to a new form of autobiography. And many people in the New Testament use this. So watch, watch this with me. Wisdom says in verse 22 these words, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before the deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began This signals the beginning of God's path. Interesting, wisdom is his first work, his first act of creation. Before the ancient of days brought forth light, darkness, sea, land. Before organic life, before all the great lights, big and small. Before plants and creatures and human beings, wisdom was there. Now this is not saying that wisdom was like some wife to God. Or was his consort. Or there was some other uncreated being called Sophia with him. Certain churches that embrace this go off the deep end and actually introduce their churches to goddess worship. It's a vile, vile violation of the gospel. All that is being told here to us is in the pre creation chaos of Genesis 1 2, where the world was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep, wisdom was there. Day one and two and three had not happened yet, but the righteous path was being built. For God himself is holy, and wisdom is holiness expressed. She says, when there was no oceans, I was given birth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in their place, before the hills, I was given birth birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in their place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters could not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom says before everything that we know happened, I was there. But not only was I there, I was involved in the act of creation. Proverbs 8 is not a technical reading of creation, by the way. With this grand allusion to Genesis 1, we're just being told of her presence at this moment. It's poetry, everyone. It's poetry. Verse 30, Then I was a craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in God's presence, rejoicing in his world and delighting in humanity. She had great joy, not only in God's presence, but in this new thing called creation, but especially when God made human beings. Now, why would wisdom have so much joy, such reaction, such praise when we got made? Well, the answer is this. God chose to make part of his creation in his image. Now creation can actually walk with God, be in relationship with God, not only being known by God, but know him back. And that's what wisdom is at its heart. Wisdom is learning to walk right with God. It's relationship right worked out. But if there was no image, there'd be no relationship and no relationship. There would be no need for wisdom. Have you thought about that? Wisdom is God-centric and human-centric. It's not creation-centric. Wisdom is given to us so we know how to walk with the one we're made in the image of. Now, if you've done church for a while, university caps on, and you've done church for a while, and you've read the grand themes of Scripture, you're starting to maybe see a parallel to Jesus. You said, I, there's some language I've seen before. Well, you're right. John 1.1, 1, 1. think about these words as you read Proverbs 8. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing that has been made was made. Or Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, throne, power, ruler, authority. All things were created by him and for him. He holds all things together. In him all things hold together. And before all things he was there. Colossians 2.2, uh, in order that they may know the mystery of God, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. You're saying, John, really, it's, it's dark out, I'm tired. Oh, come on. Why are you doing this to me this morning? I only had one Tims, not three. It's too much. Well, here's why I'm doing this this morning. This is absolutely important, and I'll tell you why. Because people are going to show up at your door, and they're going to smile and say, Hi, we'd like to talk to you about God. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, and even Muslim missionaries. And if you doubt that, trust me, they're coming to your neighborhood too. And they're going to talk to you about why Jesus isn't God in flesh, why he's just a God or a prophet or just a good guy or a social revolutionary, but he is not God in flesh. And what they're gonna do to confuse you is they're gonna pull out, believe it or not, Proverbs chapter eight and say, see, see, this is a full allusion to Jesus. And and see, he's called the firstborn in creation in Colossians one, and wisdom was created. So this is exactly telling you the truth that Jesus, by the way, isn't God, he's something else. He's not uncreated, he's created. Now you need an answer for this, because if you don't have an answer for this, you'll get deceived. Here's how one person put it. The writers of Proverbs did not intend to describe the Messiah or the person of Jesus. Rather, later leaders like Paul saw a correspondence and used what they call typology. Typology is a way to identify similarities in two God events, and they bring them together, showing that God is at work in the same situation. You need to remember all this when we read our New Testament and see Jesus associates himself with wisdom. Woman wisdom is not a pre-incarnate form of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is not to be identified with wisdom that way. The language about Jesus being the firstborn over creation should not be pressed literally as if Jesus was a created being. Here's the crucial point. The association between Jesus and woman wisdom in the New Testament was a powerful way of saying that Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom. Here's the point. Was Jesus perfect, yes or no? Everyone? Yes. Did he ever disobey his father? No. So did he obey the book of Proverbs perfectly? There's your answer. Here's the heartbeat of what's going on. Paul and others, and John, Jesus' best friend, used wisdom as an allusion to what Jesus did fully. What we are called to do, it's why Israel failed and Jesus didn't. It's why we failed and Jesus didn't. He obeys God perfectly. He is the author of creation and he works it out completely. Do not let people use this to undermine your faith in Jesus. Now the Father ends this way. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Blessed is the person who listens to me, watching daily at my doors and waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from God. But whoever fails to find me harms themselves. All who hate me love death. Here's a simple summary of this sort of conceptual passage. Wisdom equals life and favor with God. Walking away from wisdom will end up with self-harm and death, spiritually or otherwise. The choice is ours. What are we going to do with woman wisdom? Now, as you work through this, because again, this is more difficult than, well, the other passages, because the other passages are pretty clear. You know, don't commit adultery. Don't hang out with people. They'll corrupt your character. You go, well, John, what do I get from this? I mean, it's sort of lofty. Well, here it is. When I want to talk about two things that I'm done. The first thing I want to talk about is money. And then I just want to talk about wisdom as a gift. So, and then we'll be done. So here it is. We've been encouraged and challenged in this series in a lot of very strong ways. But there is a theme here in chapter 8 about money every one of us needs to hear right now. And this is how one leader wrote it. I'm just going to steal it from him because he did a better job than I could. So this is what he wrote. Wisdom's speech... Concerning a wise person's attitude towards wealth is really strong here. God was pleased that Solomon, like I said, did not ask for wealth or honor, but for wisdom to rule people. So he gave Solomon all of it. In the same way, hear this, Wisdom is glad to provide riches and honor to those who choose her above them. Twice the readers are actually advised to choose wisdom over anything glittery. Proverbs 8, and you can read it all through. We did it today. Reading through these words, we acknowledge that all too often we are influenced as humans and as Christians by what our eyes see instead of what we hear from wisdom. Is it not the desire for wealth that frequently tempts us away from wisdom and obedience? Now, if we were to live by bread alone and not by every word that comes from the mouth of God, then getting bread by any means would be okay. So then if we only live, listen please, If we only live for acquisition in this world, we might be convinced that greater accumulations of wealth is good too. Now, while wisdom, this is very important, is not opposed to securing wealth or honor, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God wants us all to be poor. Nor does it say in the Bible, God also wants us to be mega rich with no compassion. Wisdom resists getting honor and wealth when it's done for our sake. You have to meet wisdom first, and love wisdom, and have a great relationship with her, and then the other two things get sorted out. If you don't, you end up kissing the mouth of an idol, you shoot wisdom in the head, and you end up, to, you end up dying. I mean, it's, it's that severe. In other words, he writes, to seek goods of this world as the ultimate goal of life is not only to miss the greater good for which we were created, but also opens us up, and I'll say even as Christians, to two huge life-destroying dangers. Danger one, the first is to squander our love on objects that cannot love us back. I need to say that again. To squander our love on objects that cannot love you back. Your house can't love you. Your kitchen reno cannot love you. Your car will never love you. Your RSPs will never hug you. They won't. Everything that we own or we acquire can't love us back. Now, are any of those things wrong? No. I got a lovely new bathroom two weeks ago. It's, it's wonderful. It doesn't love me. It, show, it doesn't love me. We, if we buy into our ideas in this culture, that by what we own, we will find fulfillment. It's not wisdom, it's death. Jesus came and said, you cannot love God and money. Did Jesus say it was wrong to have money? No. What Jesus was teaching is this. You cannot love both of them. If you love God, all the things you have will be in right balance. If you like money, God is removed and you end up with death. Hear the word of God this morning. Be careful with the whole idea of wealth. It it doesn't mean you are rich. Be careful with what you're going after. None of those things will last. As someone always says, you can't take a U-Haul to heaven. Don't forget it. The first danger is that we would give our life to things that will never love us. And if there's one thing in our culture we're all desperate for, it's real love. Faithful, long-term love. All that stuff goes. The only love that lasts is God's. Here's the second thing. When we put wealth first and not wisdom, we become a place, a ground, where we treat other people wrong. In our day of ever-encroaching commercialism, he writes, and then he said, and this is interesting, is there any place you don't see advertising anymore? Think about it. No. We must take care to silence the din of acquisition to hear wisdom's words. When we get to the point where we start acquiring, even naturally, subconsciously, we get in the position that we might start treating other human beings as less than made in the image of God. See, if you've got wisdom at the center of who you are, then you always know that you're worshiping God and you're loving your neighbor and everything else comes next. But if you are seriously about acquisition and you're always determining to get more or think about more, you will end up using yourself or others to get what you think you deserve and you will end up hurting, abusing, breaking people made in the image of God. It's why the prodigal son story is so painful. The prodigal, story, prodigal son story ends with redemption, but it starts right here where a young adult son shows up to his dad and says, Dad, I don't even like you very much. I wish you were dead. Give me my what? Money. That is the attitude that many of us can fall into if we allow wealth to replace wisdom. The greatest people who deal with wealth, small or large, are people who absolutely embrace wisdom. God comes to us as a community and to you listening and watching and says, I've got no problem with your money, your cottages, your cars, or whatever you've got as long as I'm first. Because if you hang out with me and my gift of wisdom, you'll do all of that right. If you don't, if you don't, you'll commit adultery, commit murder, You commit lying, stealing, coveting, and the list goes on and on and on. Proverbs 8 warns us about priority. And then here's where I end. Wisdom is a gift. She's the oldest act of God. Think about that. She tells you how to live, how to love God and others. She tells you how to navigate life. She is the will of God embodied. She is understanding. She does not lie. She does not say one thing and flip-flop later. She is easily found. She does not want to use any of us. He doesn't want to, she doesn't want to abuse any of us. She does not want to set us up to fail. She really is concerned for our life. <laughs> Wisdom is God's gift to a foolish world. She meets you from on high. She meets us all right now at the crossroad of our lives. She meets us at every gate of decision. She meets us at the place where we all live and says simply these words, will you take time to listen to me? Again, as one person wrote, if you want to know how the world works and how to navigate life with pitfalls and problems, Get to know wisdom, because she's been around since the beginning. The challenge beyond money is simple, because so many people say, John, but give me the application for the next seven days. It's this, and it's really not that exciting. Blessed is the person who listens to me, watching daily at my doors and waiting at my doorway. You say, well, John, what's the take home? Well, here it is. Do you really want to know about wisdom? I mean, really, is it more important than your job? Is it more important than your kids? Is it more important than your TV time? Is it more important than fill in the blank? None of those things are wrong. But interestingly, here in chapter 8, the father reminds his son, and wisdom reminds the world of one thing. You have it. You say, "Well, well, John, I just, I'm not sure. You've got it. Open your Bible. This is like kindergarten. Open your Bible and read Proverbs and say, Lord, now what? And make it consistent. Or open the word of God. You may not get it all the first time. I still don't get it half the time. But the point is, unlike so many other cultures and Christian communities on earth, we don't have one Bible in our home. How many do you have? 20? And then, oh, there's this online thing. I have it in 4,000 languages. Right here. If you want to know the application, it's this. Let woman wisdom speak to you all the time. Ask the question from the Lord. What are you saying? How would I apply this in my life? Because in the end, she says, blessed are those who sit at my door daily, who are waiting, who are eager, who want. Why? Because she says, I'm ready continually to give you gifts. The application is don't cover your ears, don't cover your mouth, and don't cover your, your, your eyes and say, I don't have time. Because this is the thing that makes everything else at least right. The question, again, for myself as I was studying this week in you, is do we really want it? Is it more important than wealth? Because almost everything we do revolves around wealth and family. But if you want to do family right, you want to do community right, you want to do wealth right, you need to do wisdom right. This is the word of God to us this morning. Thanks be to God, and let's pray about that. Jesus, thanks for your community. Uh, Thanks for your word. And, um, you know, sometimes, Lord... This is difficult. Sometimes it goes in places we don't expect. Sometimes, to be honest, Lord, parts of your scriptures aren't interactive like other parts. But here's my prayer for myself as a leader and also just as a human being and for all my friends who make up this church and others in other communities. Help us to be people of wisdom. I mean, really, God, would you um, impress on us the necessity of this? I pray about uh, our, our dealing with wealth. I pray, Lord, that if in this community... Any of us have put acquisition in front of you that you'd forgive us. If we have used people or we have put our time or money into things that will not love us and made those priority, forgive us. Like, really, speak to us. We need you to speak to us because we are so consumerized in this culture. We can't hear you unless you show up in power. And also, our prayer is this, and it's an honest one. I pray for myself and my very busy friends and family that we would take time to listen to wisdom because the world may have more technology, but it's no different than it has been for thousands of years. And so give us your wisdom. Help us to be people of the book in this church that love and sit and listen, understand, and are changed. Last thing, I suppose I should praise this out of the book of James. Help us, God, not to be just hearers of your word, but actually to do what you teach us. And it only happens when we not only obey, but by the power of your Spirit. So Lord, you, need, you know what you need to do in my life and ours, and we pray what happened. Uh, we ask this in, name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the full embodiment of wisdom and our example. And all of God's people said, amen. So we're going to stand up, we're going to respond in worship, so why don't you stand and stretch or do whatever you need to do. And uh, as Dan leads us, uh, I just want to say this, this is a good time, uh, maybe you don't do this usually, but just as you start to sing, in your mind... Just to simply say to God one thing, thank you. When's the last time you thank God that he comes into our life time and time again by his word and helps us out? He's a good dad, isn't he? Is he? He is. He's a good dad who loves us. So let's sing to the God who's given us wisdom. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, Creek.ca.